0: world wrestling federation for over 50 years the revolutionary
1: force in sports entertainment tonight the world wrestling federation has laid out the welcome mats for the first ever in your house spectacular tonight two of the biggest men in federation history will raise the roof in your house world wrestling federation champion big daddy cool diesel defends the title against the number one contender psycho Sid. In your house, Big Daddy Cool in your face. <laughs> Tonight, there will be no mystery guests crashing the party for the smoking Guns. Billy and Bart plan to remove the mat from under the feet of the WWF Tag Team Champions, Yokozuna and Owen Hart. Smoking Guns are ready. Baza! Tonight, Razor Ramon has left a special wake-up call for Double J, Jeff Jarrett, and the roadie. In a special handicap match, the bad guy will take on both. Say hello
0: to your worst nightmare. We are
1: great. <laughs> tonight, in an encounter that will rock the house, the creation of devastation Adam Bomb battles the Mammoth Mabel in a King of the Ring qualifying match. Deal with the Bob Squad. Everybody's well. And finally, tonight, the Hitman Bret Hart has sent eviction notices to two unwelcome guests. The hitman will battle not only the modern day Kamikaze Hakushi, but tonight, in a separate match, he plans to slam the door shut on Jerry the King Lawler as well. Jerry Lawler, you will be going straight to the outhouse. Also tonight, one lucky winner will become the proud homeowner of this luxurious country club dwelling in Orlando, Florida. Maybe that lucky someone is you. So sit back and enjoy the family hospitality the World Wrestling Federation delivers in your house. Open up the champagne pop. It's my house, come on, turn it up. Uh. Hear a knock on the door and the night begins. Cause we've done this before, so you come on in. Make yourself at my home, tell me.
2: Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm Intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, Happy Mother's Day. I know that doesn't
3: apply to you, but Happy Mother's Day anyway. Right? Happy Mother's Day to your mother. Happy Mother's Day to Mrs. Young out there, the mother of the legendary referee, Patrick Young. Wow, that's quite a quite a title. That's true. That's Man. very true. It's tough to live with
2: having such a famous son.
3: So. I, she's having to fight off reporters, wanting to know stories about what I was like as a kid and when did I get my first referee stripes and just the whole nine yards. She's wanting she has a very difficult life. And it's so weird that the pay-per-view I picked for this week was on Mother's
2: Day. I didn't realize it at the time. It was. And it was weird because The last pay-per-view we did was on father's day yes so we are doing a father's day pay-per-view great american bash into a mother's day pay-per-view in your house number one so that's our review we'll get to that in just a moment but there was a lot of news from the pro wrestling world this week so let's get into it patrick uh
3: some sad news that hit late late last night um silver king at a match or at a show had a match and unfortunately right after the match suffered a heart attack
2: yeah, was wrestling in Camden Town, London, England, in a match against Juventud Guerrero. Finished the match and then collapsed right after the match in the ring. In the I ring, told, yes. They he, they did work on him in the ring and tried to save him there. But, yes, he collapsed right after the match. Only 51 years old, which was actually surprising to me because I would have thought he was much older than well, that.
3: Especially because he looked older in WCW. Yes, yeah. Like he looked in his 30s to 40s there.
2: No, I thought he looked like he was in his 40s, so that would have been 60. Yeah, right. So about 10 years difference. Yeah. And So Silver King, real name Cesar Barron, uh, he was a Mexican luchador, of course, and an actor. He was also featured in the movie with Jack Black, Nacho Libre. He was uh, the masked villain in that movie. Really? So Yeah, he was Ramses in Nacho Libre. I so. did not know this. His father was a famous Mexican wrestler, Dr. Wagner. His brother was, of course, Dr. Wagner Jr., who also has a son that is a pro wrestler as well. He started wrestling at the age of 18 in 1986 and has worked for all sorts of promotions, including the UWA, CMLL, AAA, WCW, All Japan, and New Japan. Very early on into his career, only about a year into his career, he actually lost a mask versus mask match. So he was a luchador that didn't wear a mask, one of the few that pretty much throughout his career did not wear a mask but in 2010 apparently this is how it works in in Mexican pro wrestling you can change your name and then you can assume a mask, Get again. Your mask again so yeah. he changed his wrestling name to Silver Kane which is an idea i'm sure that WWE probably had at one point for Glenn Jacobs yeah. Silver Kane American fans are going to most remember him for his WCW run which was from 1997 until 2000 where he was Mainly a cruiserweight jobber to the other Lucha
3: Libre uh, wrestlers
2: that they had under contract.
3: Yeah, um, Dr. Wagner is a legendary luchador. I mean, up there with the Guerreros, Mil Mascaras. He is a very well-respected, very beloved luchador. And to be the second generation coming from that family, uh, he, he had big shoes to fill. He got a pretty early start straight out of the gate with having to fill those shoes. And I think he did pretty well. What was unique about him was that he he didn't look like a luchador. Like, he looked like a this, you know, heavyweight big guy. Yeah, he's much like L.A. Park
2: where he doesn't fit the prototypical lucha right. body type yeah. that we, that and we imagine. So,
3: and so when you would see him springboard off the ropes and, and do the twisting, you know, crossbody that he used to always do or head to the top rope or whatever, it was just like, holy crap, you know, this dude... This dude can fly, and he's a big guy to be able to do it. He stood out in my mind as one of my favorites, just like Parka and just a lot of the other Luchadors, that it ju- it wasn't just Hoovy and Ray and Ultimo Dragon. There was a few in there that were really special that stood out as a kid to you, or I know for me, you know, specifically. I mean... Leparca was was my guy. You can say Ray all you want. You can say you know Ultimo Dragon. Laparka was it, dude. Leparca was the <laughs> shit to me. He was awesome, and so you know, and Silver King is in that in that ballpark. And so he stood out of the mold, the normal lucha mold, and it made him very significant and very special.
2: Yeah, on Nitro, he was often featured in those great uh, six man luchador. Tags where he was often paired with uh, psychosis and Laparca or Volano four and five and yeah. uh, those were a lot of fun because they threw the tag rules out the window and they could just fly. well yeah it was,
3: it was it was Mexican rules so like if if one person's thrown out you know out of the ring a teammate can come right in and take his place and so it was a very fast paced match and I love those matches and I feel like to some degree. That rule needs to take effect here. I love the tag, don't get me wrong, but it's not a bad idea to have that because it keeps a faster pace of a tag match, it keeps you very excited, it keeps you involved, and it's like, what the hell is going to happen next? Not only do that, or do more Texas
2: tornado style, where you just throw the tag rule out the window. Because I mean, how how many times can you do the same? Someone gets a hot tag, cleans house, wins the match. Yeah. because that's just the standard WWE formula. And I for mean, a tag match. It's
3: a it's a great formula. It works all the time, but it's cool to throw a little wrench in the plan. Change it up a hair. Yeah, Silver
2: King, also one of those participants in the... We just mentioned it a week or two ago. The Junkyard Invitational. Remember that amazing match? Yes. Yeah, At uh, Bash to the Beach 99. God, I feel sorry for those people. Uh, Silver King and El Dandy were actually poised to get a push in 2000 when Stacy Keebler started managing them. They were Los Fabulosos. I do not remember I this. don't either. It looked like they were about to get a push of some sort as WCW was going through their dying days trying to retool, trying to find something different, but Silver King was released from his contract in 2000, but I'm sure while he was in WCW made outstanding money. When he signed with WCW 97, he and his brother held the CMLL tag team title so yeah. he was obviously offered a, a large amount of money compared to what he was
3: making in Mexico to go work for there uh, for WCW. And I think WCW allowed him to work both for a while, too, just like they did Conan, with Conan coming in and still being able to work for A. Silver King, only 51 years old,
2: and, I mean, it's sad. It's I don't think it, it's necessarily wrestling-related. You know, you can have... Heart disease is probably one of the leading killers of people
3: in the world. Every of yeah of any age or, or gender. Well, and like I said, he wasn't a normal loot store He was a big guy.
2: Yeah, he was a big guy, and he's a, a bit of an older guy. And I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of the situation with Jerry Lawler's heart attack on on Raw that night because he had worked a match, went and sat down at the announcers table, and then. Uh, had the heart attack and he he survived but it could happen to someone young it can happen to someone old it was just unfortunate and i'm sure if you were to ask a pro wrestler if if where you would want like unfortunately where are you going to pass what in the ring it was probably going to be that's and
3: i i mean this with all due sincerity uh if there's a possible place that I can pick. It's where I'd pick because that's the happiest place for me that I could ever be.
2: That's your home, yeah. That's, that's...
3: I w- once I'm between those ropes, everything's smooth, man. There's no problems. There's no nothing. Um, that's where I would like to go. And he was able to do so and a lot of people are like oh crap you know is it in front of the fans what do you do he did he died where he wanted to and i i don't think i'm speaking out of turn in that aspect
2: apparently the stroke caused the heart attack but you, you can never predict when these things are going to come on and so it's just unfortunate of, yeah. of his location the wwe has been rather fortunate that they've never had a talent actually pass away from something like that in their ring on television because like I said it doesn't you don't have to be a 51 year old wrestler you could be um you could be Baron Corbin and have a medical event like that and just
3: yeah the only times I can think of anything like that happen was um the storyline with Eddie Guerrero when he had the heart attack in the ring Oh, and Ric Flair they had the storyline of, yeah. The only serious actual in-ring match that just got stopped at a halt was with uh, Sean and Owen when Sean just completely dropped. He passed out right there in the middle of the ring. It was a Raw, actually, and it was just... From too much drugs and too much partying, he basically almost OD'd, and they had to get him help immediately. They've they've been kind of
2: fortunate that that's that's never happened, but it's uh, unfortunate that we lost Silver King. I'll be interested to see on Raw if he gets a in memoriam before the show starts because he never did work for WWE, and there's we talk about this a lot. There's like levels of tribute for stars, and I just wonder if he'll even get. The... In memoriam. Has, the, has
3: WWE.com even mentioned anything? Yes, they, they put did. a story out okay. about it. All right. Well, then, you know, at least they're
2: acknowledging it. Jeez, Patrick, you got to start things out with such sadness. Well, see,
3: it's like wrestling you start
2: low and you work your way up.
3: You got to, oh. if you start at the top, man, it's hard to keep the crowd there the whole oh, okay, time. Okay, I see. Yeah. You don't want to bum us out at the end. No. See, you want to—you got to send them home happy.
2: Well, unfortunately, I'm not going to send anyone home happy because we're reviewing In Your House One. So. Oh,
3: shit. Shit, that's, um,
2: right. that's still to come but uh, what else has happened in the world of pro wrestling Mayor Matt Morgan. Matt Morgan lives in Longwood, Florida. In 2017, The Blueprint ran for public office, and he became a city commissioner of Longwood, Florida. And just five days ago, on May 7th, he became mayor of Longwood, Florida. Population, 13,657. So it's not exactly like he's running a giant metropolis, but he is... It's a step in the right direction. It's a start uh, for The Blueprint. And I guess he laid out his blueprint. He did. For his
3: vision for the city. His blueprint in the right direction. Uh, So congratulations to him. Congratulations are also in order for Stephanie McMahon. Yes, you heard me correct. Stephanie McMahon was given an honorary doctorate in business administrations by Robert Morris University. Now, I have never heard of this college before. Do you know of this college?
2: No, I did. Uh, pull up its Wikipedia page. Robert Morris is ranked 183rd in the category of national universities in the U.S. for 2019 by U.S. News and World Reports. They it's are
3: really, really high up on the list.
2: Oh yes, <laughs> they have 4,005 undergrad students and they have 890 postgrad students. They're located around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So there you go. She actually is a alum of Boston University, BU. So. This was the university's way of honoring her because she often appears and speaks at the business and sports management course. So, there you go as she is the chief brand ambassador for the WWE, so.
3: Now, the one that I actually really get... Dr. McMahon. Yeah, oh god. The one that I actually really care about, uh Bianca Blair. Bianca Blair or Bianca Belair
2: in the NXT organization. She has graduated from the University of Knoxville, Tennessee. She was a track star for UTK. She did graduate, so this was, I guess, for a master's degree. She went to grad school and uh, picked up another diploma. There were a lot of athletes in the news about uh, graduating this weekend. Julian Edelman, who was the MVP of the Super Bowl, he went back to school and earned his degree. Uh, J.J. Watt gave a commencement speech at his university. So, a lot of uh, sports and sports entertainment stars getting their diplomas and getting involved in graduation ceremonies this weekend so congrats to all of them and uh, I think she's going to be a big star when she gets to the main roster if she's used properly she has a very unique offense with her hair being a whip and she also is just in Tremendous physical shape. I mean, to be a track star, her cardio's already there. Everything else she's done in the ring, she has advanced greatly in the short time she's been in NXT, and she's only thirty years old. So,
3: yeah, I was asked. We'll stop right here for a second. Uh, anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge Falls fan. So UTK, this is awesome. I had to specifically point that out. But I was asked by a fan. Uh, his name's Brandon. Uh, he's fourteen. I do believe he's a teenager. He listens to our radio show, which our podcast here, who at times is probably not kid-friendly. So, uh, Brandon, you need to check with your parents on this. Uh, But he asked, he said, we're always talking about past wrestling-related stuff that we remember or stuff that was influential or stood out to us. But he asked me, he wanted to know about you and me personally. What was one thing personal? that stood out in our minds, that was influential in our careers or in our lives. And so I, uh, I have hinted on the story a time or two. I got invited to go up to UTK uh, as a kid to the baseball uh, camp while I was there under lock and key. The, uh, while we were there on the practice field training and doing the camp, we stopped and had a quick break, and me and a couple of guys picked the lock and went into the Vols locker room. Now, we were not allowed in there. It was locked, and so there I am getting my picture in front of Peyton Manning's locker and it's standing open, so I'm looking at you know, the tennis shoes that he, you know, his cleats that he wears and just, oh my God, you know, this is, this here's the number 16 jersey, you know, like I'm just looking, I'm looking at it all. Like I'm just in shock. And sure enough, security comes along and catches us. Being, you know, 12, 13. You're like, crap, I'm in deep shit. So they take us upstairs, they take us into this office. And when we turn around, around the corner there, there is none other than sitting there at the desk in this office is none other than Philip Fulmer and so they had took us to Philip Fulmer the current athletic director but former football coach the head football coach of the Tennessee Vols at the time and uh, coach like I said for Peyton Manning and they were like hey you know we caught these guys going through the locker room obviously they're not supposed to be there they're here with the baseball camp what what should we do He laughs it off and said, boys will be boys, and took out a couple of 8 by 10s and autographed them for us and gave it to us. And so I was like, holy crap. And so then the next day, we're at lunch, we're eating in the uh, cafeteria, and we just keep hearing this noise of like a basketball around the corner. And you would think, after yesterday's fiasco, we would not be curious kids like we were going to be so we went around the corner there and we look in and there is the lady vols basketball team and pat summit is there coaching them they're running drills and all that Uh, they notice us as they notice us uh she calls us over and there was 12 of us and we swapped out, and we played uh, five on five with the Lady Vols as a practice pickup game. Now, obviously, we got our asses yeah, kicked. Yeah, but you did really well. Yeah, we got our asses kicked, but it was cool, man. Because then we walked over and uh, got to talk to her, and got to you know get some inspirational words from her as you know how a team works, and you're you're not the only one on the team, and team is very important, and so that was a really monumental trip for me you know here it is i've met two legendary tennessee coaches so that was a really cool stood out in my mind as like you know athletic wise you know there may be things i'm not good at there may be things i am good at but you bust your ass and you will get better and so that that's my backstory of something not wrestling related so there's mine brandon do you have one alex Along those same lines, I, I haven't had
2: uh, quite the interaction with uh, with famous people like that. But I remember when I was a kid, I, I really loved the movie Days of Thunder, and of course, in Days of Thunder, one of the cars is the Mellow Yellow car. Oh so yes, that was very important to me. And there was an actual Mellow Yellow car in NASCAR, and it was driven by Kyle Petty, who was the son of Richard Petty, who I know is your favorite driver yeah, of all the time. Yeah, the king. The king, and,
3: Richard Petty, is, is and will always be my favorite race car well, driver. Well,
2: my favorite was Kyle Petty because he was in the Mellow Yellow car, and that's really all that mattered to me. And I remember he was doing an autograph signing at a local gas station, and I went to finally go meet my hero or whatever, and my parents said, "Oh, he's your biggest fan." And Calpe is like, "Oh, that's nice, that's nice," and signed my thing or whatever. But that got me into NASCAR for a while. Like, uh, just the experience of meeting him, I had already, I was already watching it a little bit, but that got into it. And then, then I learned what it was like to follow a driver that sucks really, because <laughs> I, as good a, he's, he was a consistent, like he was, he could make the field. But he rarely ever won, and I held out hope every Sunday after Sunday, this will be the day, this will be the day, and he finally one time there was a road race, yes. and he just happened to be in the lead, and it started raining, and I was like, yes, I celebrated his shortened race win, because <laughs> this was the only way I'd ever seen it happen, and finally my guy got a win, but... I think what that all taught me was sort of like my love-hate relationship with pro wrestling is that i keep watching i keep watching waiting for those moments and so it was basically an early indicator that i'm going to be a fan of a losing product at some points (laughs) and just hold out hope that eventually one day no matter how it happens something really great will happen and make me happy and that's I think why i like pro wrestling it's sort of it's a abusive relationship that i just i have this fandom for this product that lets me down and lets me down get, but every once about. in a while you get a kofi kingston winning the belt and oh you brought me back in <laughs> so that's my story uh yeah i'll try to come up with something better next time that, but. no
3: that's awesome that's awesome and you were right uh kyle did not following his father's legacy footsteps very well. No, and I,
2: I hate to say it too because he's so gosh darn popular, but Dale Jr wasn't exactly the intimidator. That's uh,
3: that's very true. He
2: sold a lot of merchandise, he made a lot of money, he's a great brand ambassador like and he, he's got a lot more wins than Kyle Petty, but you can say the both of them just didn't they didn't live up to the hype. I mean, well, I, it was tough shoes to fill to yeah. begin with. I mean, seven yeah.
3: titles, like, I mean, like how many titles does he have? Zero. Okay, yeah. Well, well, there you go, Brandon. There's a little past break in it for you. Little side note: Do not repeat the language in which I use on this. I don't mind you. I'm happy you listen. We're thrilled that you listen. There are times in which my language could get you in trouble in school. So no, repeat the language at all at every opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, All right, going forward. The WWE Network is going to be pulled from some devices going forward because they're not going to be able to be downloading the new updates. So such uh, things as Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, Mm. a lot of the other older devices that were the first ones that got to stream the network are unfortunately not going to be able to do so much longer that probably has to do
2: with like 4k and more high definition stuff that those devices can't process or something a similar thing happened to people that owned the nintendo wii a few months ago the latest netflix update came out and it wouldn't go on your old nintendo wii and so people that were just hooking up their Wii for Netflix, they could no longer do that. So it just happens from time to time. Devices get outdated. Technology changes so fast. I bought a new TV a few weeks ago, and I'm already worried, like, oh, my goodness, this will be outdated in a few years, and none of this. It's largely based on apps, and (laughs) it runs on Fire TV, and it's like, okay, this is good for now, but there will come a time when none of this works, and I'm just going to have a brick. Yeah that i can you know hook a dvd player up to or whatever but our video game system that's about it yeah that's the one thing that's the one thing about having physical media that i think people are going to really miss when stuff like that happens or when when netflix catalog gets purged or when they if they purge stuff from the wwe network Like, if they ever remove stuff to make room for other stuff, or, and you're not going to have a hard copy of that. And that's one thing that I know it's crazy to have a room full of tapes. Like, I mean, you've got an entire library
3: of VHS. Yeah.
2: But at the same time, that's reliable. It's more reliable than just hoping that it'll be there. Right. On the internet. I mean, so. Just a word of warning. So, and that for any device, just if there's something you really love, try to obtain a a physical copy of it.
3: Speaking of which, this legendary historical library I have, we do need to start trying to figure out a way to kind of transfer it over to Blu-ray or thus forward. So the problem with, I mean, what's so time
2: consuming is that you have to do it in real time. As far as I know, from vhs to dvd or whatever and so that means you have to actually play it and let it play for that entire time and i mean there's an entire company based in our city that does that that is their primary job but that's how they do it i've talked to people that work in this in this industry and they get boxes of tapes sent to them and they have racks and racks of VCRs hooked right next up to DVD recorders and they just start them start them start them and then that's rows and rows of this see so, I
3: always got the 8 hour tapes and so you could you could squeeze right about SLP
2: yeah you gotta get 8 hours out of that you could squeeze
3: tape. right there about 4 2 hour wrestling shows on there yeah and so but then when they went to 3 hours it fucked me dude it oh, yeah. really fucked me. Yeah, so that that project
2: alone is just a massive undertaking. For well, yeah,
3: because I have like, what, four, or 500 VHSs? So that is going to be something that will take us years to... And at that point in time, then Blu-ray is not even going to be reliable. You know, Blu-ray will be outdated and it'll be...
2: As long as you can find something to play it back on, it won't be outdated. So, like, a DVD player will always be able to play DVDs. So, True. Yeah. Now, will you be able to find blank DVDs to burn them on? I don't know coming up in a few years. So, uh, just something to be aware of.
3: Speaking of movies, Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, a.k.a. new movie star, is going to be starring in an MMA movie named cage fighter now you and i had discussed this there has been multiple movies that i do believe that have gone by the name cage fighter
2: yeah so there was a movie called cage fighter that came out in 2017 or 2018 so there has been a movie called cage fighter but now there's another one only this sounds the last one sounded more like a documentary and now this is, currently in pre-production, this film tells the story of a MMA champion who unexpectedly loses a heavily promoted match to a professional wrestling star making his crossover debut in MMA fighting world. Uh-oh. Humiliated by the defeat, he must fight his way back to the top and earn his place for a rematch. So it sounds like Dean Ambrose is the pro wrestler that defeats this MMA guy, and there's no, there's nothing worse in the world than losing to a pro wrestler, Patrick. I know. It's horrible, devastating, devastating. Except that's exactly what happened over the weekend, as we had a pro wrestler defeat an MMA fighter. Well, he's not really much of an MMA fighter. I was going to say
3: at the weigh-in picture, which I had no idea who this this guy is, but at the weigh-in picture, this guy looks like a fat trucker in a plaid shirt. So I'm not sure. Apparently, you said he works at a meat packing plant. (laughs) Yes. And MMA, a MMA fighter is his part time job. Yes, TJ Jones uh, showed up to fight Jake Hager or Jack Swagger. It's Rocky all over again, a meat packing plant and boxer. Now it's just MMA fighter. So Except, you go.
2: unlike Rocky, who took Apollo Creed to the limit in Rocky, the original one, uh, Jack Swagger beat this guy in about a minute and a half in the first round. <laughs> so maybe this Cage Fighter movie could be a story about TJ Jones, there basically. You go. Beltor keeps serving up these just strange. Oh, you make the weight? Here you go. You can fight Jack Swagger. And uh, Jack Swagger's promo afterwards, very odd. I might include a clip of it right here.
1: But you know what? I'm rock hard right now with emotion.
0: I got a phoner
2: no further comment on his what he said but that was <laughs> just a very strange show of emotion who he also got booed by the crowd which I'm not sure exactly maybe they were upset that he was fighting this TJ Jones guy to begin with but well, it's I'd like, be
3: upset too I mean this guy did not look like he belonged in the cage the with... first
2: guy he fought I don't remember his name but he looked a little more the part but well,
3: he still this guy looks like he's not an MMA fighter he just drove the cage to the show. And it's like, oh well the guy actually did show up, we're gonna throw you in there as, as service or backup. And so... Well
2: he probably got paid decently, you know, to go in there and get his ass beat.
3: Oh, he got his ass beat.
2: This is what the UFC should have done for CM Punk given him scrubs and given him some confidence and maybe his MMA career would have lasted a little bit longer. Oh yeah, because it's done now. Yeah, he showed up to that house show hitting his uh, GTS and now you know, rumor going to be going to AEW, who knows? But it looks like wrestling is coming back to CM Punk in some form or fashion. Or CM Punk's going back to wrestling, so uh, we'll have to wait and see.
3: You know, we talk about people getting wrestling kind of biting them in the ass, per se. Uh, Lars Sullivan, Lars Sullivan, wrestling is come back to bite him in the ass as he apparently has made some controversial remarks in regards to mental illness, sexual orientation. uh, You name it, it's a slur, it's a slander. He has made it, apparently. This is
2: more of the internet coming back to bite you because whatever you post on the internet is there forever. Even if you delete it, even if you think no one will find it, internet wrestling fans are very hardcore in their devotion to this sport and their devotion to the wrestlers they follow. And they will find out, all about you like they find they'll get his real name okay they'll type that into a google search okay they'll just keep scrolling scrolling oh here's a message board a weightlifting message board from years ago and he posted all this stuff even called out bobby lashley for using steroids or something in one of these posts and they were from years ago he shouldn't have said it then but he's not going to be punished for it now he's apologized if you were offended it's one of those half apologies oh he's
3: gonna be punished
2: yeah he was on this message board for over the course of six years according to sports illustrated so that's a lot of time to write a lot of crap that you probably shouldn't have you know if you even if you have those thoughts just keep it to yourself and don't put them well on i'm the sure internet. at some point in time the shit that i talk on here is going to come back to bite me in the ass but you know what i don't care i don't think you've ever said anything that's going to come back to bite you uh and even if you have, I've edited out. So, uh, <laughs> but Lars Lars Sullivan is heavily pushed on TV. I don't think that's going to change because, much like in the case of JBL, who's also said controversial things in the past, if this company has plans for you, if they are, if you are in Vince's favor, nothing will come of this. And see, that's where that- I mean, this is the same company that I mean, Ultimate Warrior said some pretty bad stuff about people. Uh, prior to his going into the Hall of Fame and all this, and now he's celebrated as a legend. And that can be for his entering career, sure, but you can't separate the man and his words. You know That's always going to be there in the back of my mind when it comes to Ultimate Warrior. And I loved him as a kid in the ring, and I I think he was a great character in all this, but um, it's just like Hulk Hogan and the character of Hulk Hogan. It's like I can't separate... They uh, Terry Bollea and Hulk Hogan are the same person. We you
3: know? give we give we gave Hogan shit for using a racial slur. Right. Well, they kicked him out of the company for a but while. But yet, Lars Sullivan uses a racial slur, and he keeps his job and he keeps his push and everything's hunky dory. Okay. I'm sorry, I find that to be a problem. We've talked about
2: it many times on here. It's the company doesn't have a systematic guideline of. Punishment or rule structure where everyone's treated the same. I mean, you can be Titus O'Neil and grab Vince McMahon's arm and get suspended for sixty days, or you can be Lars Sullivan and say something offensive on a message board and you'll be in the title picture in two weeks. Yeah. So it's there's no, not everyone is created equal in WWE world. Everyone's treated differently. Depends on who you are. Depends on what's going on. Even in a regular business situation. If there's a if there's a situation at one of my employers where I said something offensive but someone else said something offensive but that person is in more favorable light with the bosses, I'm probably going to get fired and that person's not. And that's just unfortunately that's the way the world operates no. and it's sad, but it's just I don't there's no way to really fix it cuz we're all human and we all have our own biases and judgments against other people and if we're to render verdict on oh well patrick young went on a podcast and said this and uh, you know what that offends me but he's my boy so he's gonna keep his job so you know that's that's what happens when humans make decisions so
3: yes you you spoke of grabbing vince's arm here Vince. man what are your thoughts on the new wild card role I greatly dislike this
2: wild card rule because it really hurts the talent that can't make it on TV, that need to make it onto TV, to be remembered that they're on the roster. Someone like Mojo Raleigh, who they were doing these vignettes of him in the mirror, which, look, I wasn't sitting around going, oh, I can't wait to see Mojo. I can't wait to see him back. (laughs) But by the time that he finally got to TV... They debut them on main event. There's no payoff to all the weeks of build. Well, nobody watches main events. Right. And I saw a chart the other day. They have 215 wrestlers signed to their company. Holy shit. And now you're saying, okay, four or five or six. They seem to go back and forth on the rule of how many can go. It seems like it doesn't really matter that four or five or six of these guys can go back and forth every single week i don't know if it's going to be the same guys that means they're taking spots away from guys on two shows basically that's what happened this past week is
3: like well yeah because there was like two matches on each show that could have featured that specific show talent but yet we're giving it away to the opposite show's talent on raw you had
2: kofi kingston defending his belt against daniel bryan you had two smackdown stars in the main event of raw where seth rollins should be in that spot yeah doing whatever and so this was try this was meant to be a quick fix to the ratings problem but the real problem is storylines need to make sense matches need to take place more wrestling needs to the announcement of the wild card rule itself took the first 30 minutes of raw to even for vince to explain it and He explained it quite poorly as well. But that took away 30 minutes of Raw. So you are not learning anything by doing stuff like that. And we'll see how long they stick with it. Maybe they just end the brand split altogether. But like I said, 215 talent, that means people are getting left behind. And even if you're talking about moving, oh, Roman Reigns, this week he's going to be on Raw. Oh, this week he's going to be on SmackDown. We've talked about it before. He's never been a needle mover. They don't have a needle mover like a John Cena that can actually get people to, like, if The Rock came back. I think that, that level of star... Is the only kind of needle mover that, oh, oh, he's going to be on this show this week. I got to tune in because he's so awesome. He's the biggest star in the company. Yeah. They don't have that star. You know why they don't have that star? 50 50 booking, bad storytelling, storylines that don't pay off, that uh, go nowhere. And that's the stuff that needs to be corrected and not. Not, oh, we have we don't have Elias like, on this show.
3: That's like, you know, the Emma... The Emma, you know... Emmalina, yes. Emmalina, she's coming, and then they did... That was a popcorn fart. Then the situation with uh, Eva Marie. Eva Marie's gonna be this... Well, that turned into reality, because she... Her gimmick
2: was that she would never show up, and then she got suspended <laughs> and fired, yeah. so...
3: So so, uh, but that, and then... You know, just the list goes on and on. Lana, this whole big push. Lana's going to be coming out doing this whole funky, you know... Oh, yeah, the chair dancer Yeah, chair dance, whatever. That was three weeks and gone. And she was right back to being the... Remember when
2: SmackDown had the list where they had the ranking system for about a week? They had that. Um, So many things just... Dropped. Oh, when Samoa Joe was, like, getting on to Jeff Hardy about his addiction struggles, that was dropped. Yeah, just
3: the very next week, just it like... N- yeah. Never happened. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, it, it goes back even further to... I remember the night Kevin Owens on Raw won the Universal title. Triple H helped him. They never followed up on that. Nope. No mention of it that, oh,
3: Kevin Owens is Triple H's goon. N- nope. Is he going to be, you know, the boy? Is he going to be, t- you know the authority show gun, you know No, he's gonna hook up with
2: Chris Jericho, of
3: course. Yeah. That's all that that's the stuff that needs to
2: change. Not oh they it's almost y- like You know what's really hurting this show? Elias isn't on it singing a song. I mean that's just a stupid way of thinking yeah. that oh it's just because this guy's not here.
3: It's almost like they do they do it and then try to figure out how to explain it later. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. Instead of back in, you know, back in the early days. Well, you had it mapped out. It made sense. Right. As if you're going to do the one arm, you know, tied behind your back match with Vince, Dude Love comes out, beats the shit out of Austin. We build as Dude Love being, you know, the corporate champion. The surrogate, yeah. Yeah. And Austin got his ass kicked. Austin wants retribution. They go in. They they got two pay-per-views out of the dude love gimmick. Two main events out of a simple main event of a Raw. Two whole fucking months out of a simple main event out of a Raw. They don't even attempt to try to do that shit no more. No. One segment of Raw could change or could run a two-month long pay-per-view event. But like I said, like I said last week, Patrick, they already got paid. They're already paid, so they don't care. Right. That's very true. Something with some substance to it. The very secretive, lost Bret Hart match is going to finally come to light. Tom McGee versus Bret Hart, yes. Which
2: I had never heard about before. StarCast 2, which is happening before Double or Nothing, is actually getting Tom McGee and Bret Hart to sit down to talk about this match which is apparently a very it's like interesting this, match, yes. but I have no knowledge of it up until this week was the first time I even googled Tom McGee. I had never heard of this person. So the WWE Network, upon this Starcast announcement is rushing to get this thing on the network. So now they're going to stream it, which actually kind of adds to that panel, unless they do it after the panel. But it's coming to the network. And so we'll finally be able to see this long lost match that everyone keeps talking well, about. Well,
3: people thought like the video itself had been damaged. And so it was gone forever. And apparently, Tom McGee is a terrible wrestler. He's a bodybuilder. He's this muscle-bound dude. He's going to be the next Hulk Hogan, but he is horrible, horrible, horrible. And Bret Hart brings out, like, this great, amazing five-star match with him. And so everybody talks about how legendary this match was with this extremely shitty... I mean, that's like taking the Brooklyn Brawler and putting him in... Number one slot of the Royal Rumble, and he fights his way all the way through, <laughs> and he's credible enough that holy shit, he finally won, you know. And you're you're invested, you're fully. So it's a very remembered historical match that I am curious of seeing as well. I yeah, did not, I didn't know this took place. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out when
2: they post it. I think that they, I mean, with their catalog, there's a lot of stuff like that that uh they need to put on the network just out of curiosity like when kane debuted on like a house show i'm sure that there's footage of that and like he wore a cape and like i would love to see caped kane well,
3: undertaker at house shows when he was going by the name kane oh yeah kane the undertaker yes so i mean you know yeah stuff like that i i would like to see added to the network if they have footage of it of course but it took forever till we finally got the Unabomb versus The Undertaker in mm-hmm. Smoky Mountain that we finally got that match put on and uh or the Battle of Atlanta that finally God it dude on. that's so true. Yeah. A historical match that they finally realized and wanted to acknowledge that that's where they got the hell in the cell idea from. So uh yeah. I'm looking forward to this. Do we know when it's going to hit, though? I can't find a date. Oh, man. It's going to be after Raw. So there you go. This Monday? Yes. Holy shit. And
2: it will be accompanied by a documentary explaining the relevance of the match, how the tape was discovered, and what happened to Tom McGee. The special is called The Holy Grail, the search for WWE's most infamous lost match. A dark match that took place at a wrestling challenge taping in Rochester, New York, in October 7th of 1986. We'll get to see it on Monday. So, fuck Raw. (laughs) I'll skip that. I was going to say, screw it. The real show starts at 11.08. The tape was actually found by a lady named Mary Kate Anthony and was found from bret hart's assistant marcy Ingleston, uh, had it all converted to dvds years ago this is all from dave Meltzer, by the way i'm just repeating stay tuned after raw which has no overrun anymore so right at 11 o'clock oh, it has no overrun really they took the overrun away quite a few months ago i did not know usa this. said fuck that shit <laughs> this is shitty i didn't know this oh he was pissed vince was pissed that at- seven minutes means a lot Apparently. But it was something that was not even really important anymore because it used to be that Nitro ran over too, so you're both trying to run over the yeah. same time. Right. Now there's no there's not been any competition now for uh seventeen, eight oh now eighteen years. So this overrun You really it was don't just need. pointless. Yeah. So USA <laughs> finally said that'll be enough of that. So but it actually kind of hurts them on SmackDown because SmackDown was getting, I think, an overrun too. And now SmackDown sometimes, like on Tuesday's episode, they ended the match a little early, and so they just had to rush Charlie or somebody in there to get a quick promo with Kofi at the very end just to fill time because they ended it too early. So yeah. uh, the overrun was a nice thing they had to where they didn't have to worry about ending early or ending late and just end whenever. So, right. But that's gone. It's been gone for a little while now. I did not know this. Yeah, well, it's hard to make it through three hours of Raw, so...
3: Holy shit, you're not lying. Dark Side of the Wrestling. Or dark, dark... Dark Side, side of the, of the ring. ring. I'm sorry. Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, we've discussed two episodes we on have. here have. We have not discussed the Von Ericks or this past week's, and so let's talk about the Von Ericks for a minute. You, as well as anyone knows, my love for world-class wrestling. Oh, I am, yeah, you're very high on it. I'm a diehard... Georgia wrestling and World Class wrestling. And so the Von Erichs are a huge part of World Class and a huge part of wrestling tradition that just has it was explained very well that they are the Kennedys of pro wrestling. If there is a run of bad luck, by God, this has happened to this family.
2: Oh well, Kevin refuses to acknowledge it as a curse. He doesn't like to say that, but certainly feels like one. It does. It does. And it started before Kevin was even born, because the first son was electrocuted.
3: Yes. Yes. The first son, uh, Jack, Jack, uh, reached down and touched the uh, connector of the trailer hitch to a trailer and got electrocuted. Yeah, crazy. That's insane. Well, it's crazy, too, that after that, Fritz would want to have more kids. That would just devastate me. Like, yeah. And then you went on to have Kevin, David, Carrie, Mike, Chris, Chris, yes, and so that was your your family. And Chris was the the little one. Okay,
2: yeah, Chris was the little one. He had like asthma, and he had like
3: brittle bones or something. Brittle like bone that. syndrome from medication of asthma, and he had uh, he had some other health issues that were pretty bad. That he really busted his ass trying to trying to you know get the size that the family You know, the family had and had a match or two but yeah like it said broke his uh broke his leg no he ended up uh shooting himself that's yeah. right yeah, yeah he was
2: the one that Kevin found
3: that's right that just he...
2: right after had shot himself in the you know Kevin saw him out in the field or whatever and, and yeah. he was like did you get my note and Kevin was like that's right what note and went back to the house and Fritz told him oh you better go back out there yeah and that's then right. he found him yeah. that's right and then Mike had uh suffered from toxic shock syndrome which nearly killed
3: him and then returned to the ring and then years later overdosed the one that always has shocked me and i think shocks the whole world is is david being in his tour of japan and being found in his hospital or I mean, being found in his hotel room yeah ruptured intestines which uh that's insane and that, that is crazy, dude. That's just one of those freak things that... Well, and some people think it was made worse because he was believed
2: to be bulimic. He was looking sick before he left, as mentioned in the documentary, and Kevin told him not to go, but he went anyway. Well, Fritz was all about... Oh,
3: yeah. You make your dates. Yeah. You never miss your dates. And uh, Carrie, uh, like we've discussed on here... Especially when we did the Clash... Super Clash 3. Yeah, with Carrie and... Yeah, and with with King Carrie, Carrie and, and King. Um, Carrie had a lot of issues. Carrie... And I'm they brought up the fact of him wrestling with a prosthetic, which is, I still, honest to God, I'm with everyone else. I don't know how the fuck they kept that secret for as many years as they did. Showered with his boots on. Showered with his boots. Showed up with his boots on left with him on boys in the locker room when he got to WWF and working for did not know I mean Jake Roberts flat out says I never knew and I shared a locker room with this man for four years
2: yeah well in today's world it would have been found out because of the internet and how fast news travels and everything like that right I mean as soon as he had his motorcycle accident you'd know all the details yeah from it um, yeah, Kerry had a lot of issues. I mean, in the world-class documentary that WWE produced, I mean, Kevin theorized that he was doped up on painkillers and actually tried to walk. They tried to save his foot, and he tried to walk on it too early, and that's actually what caused it to—they had to amputate it because yeah. he just got up in the middle of the night because he was— And it just snapped in multiple walking. places. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, he, of course— Uh, sadly committed suicide as well. I think a lot of people know the story of the Von Erichs from that world-class documentary. I thought the Dark Side of the Ring version was very similar. It didn't feature as many world-class people because they have passed away since, too. Like, that original documentary by the WWE has, like, Gary Hart and has um, a few other world-class people like Skandar Akbar and people like that that chime in and give you their thoughts about the von Erichs and
3: there's a a um independent world class documentary that I highly highly recommend and it's it's Kevin and it's right before they imploded the sportatorium and he goes in there while they're in the process of cleaning it out to set the demolition charges and uh axe and smash right he uh he goes in there, and he's showing you. Here's where the locker room was. Here's what we did. And they go through, and they're talk. They sit down with Gary Hart. They sit down with Skandar Akbar. They sit down with the last remaining true blue world-class you know people involved, all the way down to the camera guy. And it's about three hours long, three and a half hours long. I have it on DVD. Um, I highly recommend it. I do believe... Power Slam is going to probably put it on if they haven't already put it on. Oh, okay. Uh, it's very if if they haven't, I'll let you borrow my DVD though. It is extremely extremely detailed and very well done. Very uh, much more in depth than WWE or uh, or Dark Side. However, I mean back to Dark Side though, they did a tremendous job, especially you and I talked about with, you know, looking at the old pictures with Kevin and yeah, that's the stuff that I enjoyed the most out of it
2: is uh, just being at home in Hawaii with Kevin, looking at the pictures, seeing Kevin out on the beach and near the waterfall, seeing the boys. Um, just that side of how how life is after all this for Kevin and, and getting a glimpse into that. Yes. And so I thought that was a really good um part of it. The rest of it, uh, like I said, had kind of already been explored. This show's really big into those recreation scenes where they're like in shadow and you see like shadowy figures like redoing, reliving the thing. And sometimes that can get a little old when they, especially when they repeat it so often in a show, but it's not that overwhelming. But I thought they did a good job for a what like with commercials? It's like forty five minutes of time that they had. Yeah, I thought it was it was done very well. And and for a non fan of wrestling, I think it'd be very interesting for them. I think a, right, wrestling fans I think would would it, choose the WWE's version or the documentary you talk of more than this one. It
3: draws in right. It draws in non wrestling fans as well. This like is almost curiosity. Like
2: fans of true crime
3: and right. stuff like that. Exactly.
2: And conspiracy, conspiracy theories, theories and, and all
3: that. Yeah, it's it's a very but it was done very well. And um, we talk about Lacey von Eric, who actually was Carrie's daughter, who, uh, I'm, oh, she's retired now. Uh, she's retired. She is a mother. I I am honored and proud to call her a friend, and uh, as well as Ross and Marshall. And I think she did great things, but Ross and Marshall after this, got signed to MLW, and... Yeah, which MLW
2: reiterated the points they had been discussing this deal with them prior to the airing of that. It just made sense for them to go ahead and announcement off Publicly, the heels of yeah. it. And now, of course, they're... I mean, they have a, a ready-made feud, ready to go with the New Hart Foundation and the yeah. Von Erics, two wrestling families now in your organization, so... Right.
3: And, and Ross and Marshall, um, they had that one night. In Israel that they showed at Dark yeah, Side of the Ring. They had that, uh, which I would love to see the full match of. I cannot, it's on YouTube. Is it? Is yeah. it? Okay. You'll definitely have to pull it up. They did a slam or something, I yes, think. Yes, that's what I was going to get at. They did an Impact pay-per-view. and I, Like I said, I'm proud and honored to call them... Them friends and they appreciate and show the respect that I have for world class that a lot of people in this generation don't necessarily have. And so we've had conversations privately with, you know, world class and the history behind it and the things that went down. And uh, Marshall and Ross, as as much as the Von Erics are remembered for the tragedies. Marshall and Ross are one of the two most driven individuals that are wanting to change that that they're the Von Erichs will be remembered as a legendary family and we're going to change that where the tragedy situation is is on the back burner. We we're going to show that we are the the stuff, we're the shit and the Von Erich family lives on. And so man, more power to them. Like I said, I love these guys anyway. And I think that the documentary showed them in a very not, very well light, and uh, like the situation, like you said, with Kevin climbing the tree and sitting there and talking and telling old stories and sitting there and talking about you know him personally and what he enjoys now that he's away from the wrestling scene and where he's you know he's just a family guy. He doesn't want to be. You don't see him at wrestle wrestle cons or you don't see him at when he, he's done he's done done and to see him show up for something wrestling related nowadays is a a very rare occurrence and so I think that that was extremely cool that was very well done then this past week's
2: Dark Side of the Ring was Gino Hernandez uh, special there has been
3: so much stories behind what went down with Gino I don't care whatever they want to say I truly do believe Gino was murdered.
2: (laughs) I don't know, man. I don't know. I have thought This was the 80s, and cocaine was like water flowing from (laughs) waterfalls. And
3: Gino uh, was very much uh, live fast, die young, and he was going to do that. Chris Adams' widow, which went on to uh, manage stunning Steve Austin. Uh, She's a good friend of mine, and put a book out uh, last year. Uh, highly recommend grabbing Chris Adams, who trained Stone Steve. Yes, Austin as and well. uh, they lived side by side, next door neighbors, with Gino, and she gave a very well documented account. She showed and shined the light on on his his problems better than most anyone in wrestling probably could have. They went to the ends of the earth and back to I mean hell. They reached out to. <laughs> the drug supplier. They reached out. Seriously, yeah, who had just gotten out of jail? They yeah. got. They actually got, you know, them to speak and give their backstory on the situation, and uh, then found another individual who remained anonymous. Who I do not, I do not, you know, blame them whatsoever for wanting remain anonymous due to the situation. Um, well, I think what was funny about that is. In Dark Side of the
2: Ring, so the anonymous drug dealer, not the the royal guy who like spoke at his funeral and paid for the funeral. Right, he he was the first to speak over the phone or whatever, and um, they played that for Gino Hernandez's mother, who has been living in fear. That was the most interesting thing about this is that she had this paranoia. That she's always looking over her shoulder thinking someone wants to take out the rest of the family. His mother and his sister, yeah. Yeah, that Gino left behind some massive debt with a drug dealer and we're just, one day we're going to be walking down the street and get killed. Like, that that to me was, like, the most fascinating part of this thing. And just trying to visualize living like that and try that there's a target on your back that may or may not be there, but you just have to continue on. And so that part was fascinating to me that she just, she never really got confirmation. But what's funny is what gave her confirmation is a guy that's disguising his voice out of fear Yeah, is saying to, so he's not willing to be public, but he's saying, oh, there's nothing to worry about, lady. Which
3: makes me think that there still is something out there. <laughs> I mean, right or wrong, that, that adds to- It certainly
2: seemed like at the end, Bruce Pritchard didn't seem convinced that- yeah, Gino just did a bunch of cocaine that night.
3: And yeah, died. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm with Bruce. I don't believe it either. And um, the few times that uh, Michael Hayes has talked about it, Michael Hayes, who was a legendary partier, especially in the world class days, partied with Gino. The few times he spoke of it, he truly believes Gino was murdered as well. And so. If you're getting that close hand-in-hand with people that dealt with him on almost a daily basis, and they're saying that they believe that, I mean, it's hard to dispute. If they believe it, and they knew him almost on a daily basis, then how the hell can you dispute that, you know? Yeah. It'll always remain sort of a mystery, because it
2: sounded like they also brought up the fact that his autopsy was a little incorrect. Well, yeah, that he had a
3: mustache, that he was... Uh, a Hispanic that he was like two hundred and seventy something pounds or something. Yeah, like.
2: like the medical examiner's office like botched the information. So it's like, how thorough were they with the actual autopsy when you're yeah. just botching basic facts that right. are on a sheet of paper? So they did raise some interesting points. I did like this because the world class documentary that I mentioned earlier for the Von Ericks that the WWE did only spent. A couple minutes on Gino and just Gary Hart said I don't want to talk about Gino and that was pretty much the end of it. So I was glad to finally get this look at Dino Hernandez who always struck me in the very few clips I've seen of him as just very charismatic a very a talent he could have been a very big star I Oh think. he was
3: going to be huge.
2: He had a lot of the uh, Ric Flair playboy character going for him except I think he was an even younger and better looking version of Ric Flair that would have come along and and made uh, a bunch of money. Well,
3: if, see, and, and a lot of guys, after a show, they can go out there and they can look a little girl in the face and pretend to be like, no, nah, I'm not signing your autograph or whatever in character. But after the show, specifically seek out this person or this kid to make sure that they get the autograph that they wanted. Gino didn't. Now he's ripping him up. He's ripping him up. He's telling him to get the hell out of his face. And he lived it. Day and night, night and day, like Chris Adams did when he, you know, Gino blinded him. I mean, hell, they interviewed, they interviewed Chris Adams, thinking that he had something to do with Gino's death (laughs) because he blinded him in the ring. Yeah, they were so committed to kayfabe then. Yeah, and that, I mean, they thought this man had murdered him because of a something that happened in a wrestling ring. If you are that devoted and you're that committed that is why Gino and chris adams is held in in a higher light than most people because they lived it they rick flair lives well
2: well but and they've all paid in their own ways for i mean rick flair hasn't paid like Gino and chris adams have for living the way they they lived but um i mean he's had his own medical issues i mean it has caught up to him a little bit but uh yeah, he lived it and he died it. Yeah. I mean, I think they say that in Dark Side of the Ring. Is...
3: Yeah, I, I think it was done very well.
2: Yeah, so two very good episodes. We have the fabulous Moolah and all her stories of pimping out wrestlers, I'm sure, will be the focus of next week's.
3: <laughs> and then uh, there's a wrestling documentary that's going to start right after. And for those of you who have not paid attention, a good friend of mine, Fred Yeti, who I've mentioned numerous times as being the future of pro wrestling is finally going to be showed in light in one of the episodes in this upcoming wrestling documentary. And I highly, I highly, highly recommend you sit down and watch this because it's going to show some of the biggest names on the independent circuit that are not given the credit they should be given yet yeah, this show is called The Wrestlers. It was actually filmed a few
2: years ago. It's by a guy named Damian Abraham, who I first heard on live audio wrestling, and now he's part of, he occasionally shows up on post-wrestling uh, shows. He went to Vice years ago with this idea, and it had they had just been sitting on it. They had been in the can for a few years. So some of the wrestlers that you talk about as being the next big thing they already are cuz like Zack Sabre Jr is featured in one yeah. episode so uh it's a little dated but the success of Dark Side of the Ring has finally opened Vice's eyes to get this thing and put it on the air so after many years i think they started shooting this thing in like 2016 or 2017 so it's finally seeing the light of day in 2019
3: i hope that the dark side i hope this isn't a one and done. I hope they follow up on some more.
2: Well, sadly, wrestling is full of tragedy and uh, conspiracy and death and destruction, and they have many, many stories to tell. So it's been such a success for Viceland that I definitely think that they'll bring it back. So the only thing I'd be worried about with them continuing is that I think WWE, I was amazed that they granted them the footage to use in the shows, especially when it's called Dark Side of the Ring and you're not showing happy, smiling faces and and telling happy stories. And I don't know when they got the rights to use that. I don't know how long this has been in the can either. So, um, But going forward, looking at the success of it, WWE might say, well, we'll just try and do it ourselves because why would we let you make money off our footage I mean I'm sure they have to pay a licensing
3: fee to use that footage but like if you pull it off I've had I've always had a question about this if you pull it off of YouTube and you use it off there is it considered licensing because you're getting it off of a social media site you have you have you can't be held responsible for whoever put it on there
2: yeah see I I don't know about the the gray area and that it's just I think going forward how willing will they be to hand out, hand over footage? Especially, yeah. like, what if Dark Side of the Ring wants to cover the Benoit situation? Or, oh. Well, yeah, I mean, the WWE in that case can't hand over anything because of the settlement with Martha. So, I don't know how you go about doing these without that footage. And so, I just don't. And like I said, if since it's been a success for Viceland, WWE might just say, well, we'll just do it ourselves if we choose to do these. All right, so what else have we got? Uh,
3: Last but certainly not least, the XFL schedule has been released, showing TV uh, channels, times, teams, the whole nine yards. I believe it's
2: an eight-week schedule, maybe, and they have their television partners, ABC, ESPN, Fox, and Fox Sports. They will run two games on Saturday and two games on Sunday. Uh, they'll start at, I think, 2 o'clock, so they'll get done around 6 o'clock. And it's not a very high-paying TV deal. It's a lot like, I mentioned the Impact Barter deal. It's a lot like that, where Vince isn't making a lot of money off of the TV rights. But it's the most exposure. It's going to get way more exposure than the Alliance of American Football got, yeah. which went out of business very quickly.
3: Oh, they've already gone out, really?
2: yeah. I should have brought this up a few weeks ago when they went under. But yeah, they were about eight weeks into their season. They had a ten week season and the guy who had given them all the money said, No more. We're stopping this and just stopped it. So that competition's gone, but the season's gonna start the weekend after the Super Bowl. So if you've <laughs> got if you've got a flavor for football that you just can't can't fix, you know, you gotta keep going.
3: Oh, that's the perfect time. I mean, you have no other football to compete with.
2: Right. So, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Round number two. Do you, we uh, do? Do we have a full roster yet or
3: head coaches yet?
2: Uh, they had announced a couple of coaches, I think, but rosters have not been announced. I'm sure there's going to be a draft and all that stuff still to come. So. Is it going to be shown on the WWE Network? No, I think he wants to keep these as separate as possible. I think the good thing about his TV deal is that he got on ESPN because – like i mentioned about the original xfl and when we talked about that 30 for 30 one of the things that killed the xfl is that they weren't getting covered by espn but if you're showing the games on the channel you're going to be on you be center covered. yeah you're going to have maybe your own show like nfl live you're going to have xfl live you're going to have commentators actually talking about what's going on in your product and that's a big part of it also sports betting is going to play a huge part into this because states are starting to legalize sports betting and the xfl's coming along at the right time and you can already use like DraftKings or FanDuel. that all this is going to drive interest in the product that wasn't there in 2001 when they tried it the first time so uh, i think it's got a much better chance at succeeding
3: but what is their tv deal how many years i think it's rumored to be a three-year deal So, See, I thought it was two like the original, which is shocking because, I mean, it's not going to be a one and done that you're guaranteed at least two to three seasons. Well, I think Vince has enough money now uh,
2: stored up in his own personal bank vault that he is going to not let this thing fail at all costs because whatever it takes. He wants something other than wrestling to be on his gravestone, you know? God, he, dude, if he got Peyton Manning... Well, or, to be like a commentator? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That would be a massive deal, so... That's like getting John Madden to come
3: and commentate or something.
2: Peyton turned down the Monday Night Football job, and they offered him... I'm saying. a boatload of money. And Vince, Vince has more than what they got. That's something that hasn't been discussed is who's paying the commentary... Teams are they going to be
3: supplied or that's, that's a, all? That is a big, big thing. Or what if you get like Eli Manning or John Madden? Man, I mean, Madden's still alive. Well, he's he's alive. He's he's old, but he I mean, you had Dick Budkiss
2: on the original. Oh boy, yeah. Try, <laughs> I mean. try not to remind me. So it's time to get onto our pay-per-view review for this week. This should fly by quickly because holy shit because it's terrible yeah well in your house number one was only an hour and 40 minutes so that's because they wanted cheaper pay-per-views
3: these were only 15 bucks it wasn't cheap for them they gave away a damn house
2: well yeah it cost them a house (laughs) uh the first time out but then business was way down uh in the wwe 1995 not a banner year diesel the worst drawing champion and company history everything was pretty much
3: something to be proud of
2: oh that is an accomplishment and so they said you know we have a shrinking fan base let's go ahead and do these monthly pay-per-views make them cheaper but that's nickel and dime the people that are still around The, the diehards they'll go with us no matter what so this actually turned out to be a pretty good idea and evolved into the monthly pay-per-view system that we have now the pay-per-view got 332,000 buys wow
3: that's pretty big
2: well a lot of people wanted to see if they won that house they mailed away for i guess so true well that was a lot of damn letters too it was we're in syracuse new york we're at the county war memorial in front of 7,000. People. That's a lot of. That's a lot of people. They're hanging from the rafters. We missed the dark match. Jean Pierre Lafitte defeated Bob Holly. Jean Pierre Lafitte, better known today as PCO, PCO, kicking off in your house number Sp- one. Spark plug hardcore, Bob Holly. Tonight, the WWF has laid out the welcome mat Uh-oh. as we get all the house puns out of the way. And they will raise the roof Uh-oh. in your house. It's Diesel. It's Sid. The Smoking Guns will take on Owen and Yokozuna, plus Jeff Jarrett and Razor Ramon. And then, in a King of the Ring qualifier, Mabel and Adam Bomb and Bret Hart pulling double duty again. This seems to be a thing Dude, he, that he does all fucking, the time. He was a fucking workhorse. He gets to wrestle Hakushi, who was undefeated, and Jerry the King Lawler. The endless feud, the feud that will not die. As much shit as I give about Triple H... And Shawn Michaels, this was the real feud that would never, ever <laughs> We're end. Like two and a half years, did it not? Oh, I think it's still to this day. I think they're still <laughs> wrestling somewhere. Plus, someone's gonna win a house because it's in your house. So why not give away a house in Florida? Yes, on a golf course, on a golf country course. club. Welcome to Syracuse, New York. Vince and Doc Hendricks on the mic is oh, uh, we got a Michael PS Hayes. Uh, since Jerry Lawler was in a match, even though usually he does commentary and then just gets up for his match and goes and sits back down. Not tonight. He was not going to fool all around business. with that. He's business tonight. He wants his match out of the way real quick, too. He's ready to go home. He wants to get the fuck well, out no, of Well, he realizes
3: years. that uh, Brett's injured and he wants to jump all over that.
2: Oh, I see. Carlos Cabrera, Ed Tuco, and Hugo Savinovich are the Spanish-announced team. Our first match of the night, Shinja, which is Akira Sato from the Orient Express in a white face here. Uh Uh-oh. So, but he is at least Oriental, so it's not that offensive. He leads Hakushi down to the ring. Hakushi with all his drawn-on
3: tattoos. Who the... Fuck. Spends three hours having all that shit drawn on every single night.
2: Well, the people at OSW review theorized that this was a stencil. Like, you just put a stencil over him, and then you just, like, paint over the stencil. And that way, you just pull it off, and it's all there. You see what I'm saying? Like Bullshit. You cut out the symbols, and then you just paint over it instant symbols. So really? that way you don't have to go every single one, because that would have taken forever.
3: That would have taken yeah. forever.
2: Forget training his, for your match. His
3: back, his yeah. front, his arms, his face. Jeez, yes. like, dude. Now if they did that, that is that needs to be part of the dark side of the ring right there. <laughs> that, <laughs> right right we're, there tonight we're exposing Hakushi's tattoos. How did this get done? We want to know. The fans wanna know.
2: He's on an undefeated streak. So he's got the Goldberg thing going on. Bret Hart gets a Interview with Todd and his mullet, Todd Pettengill, who I like, by the way. I know you don't like him, but I like Todd Pettengill. I miss this guy. You miss Todd Pettengill? Yes. He needs to return to the company.
3: What does he do now? He's a, I think he's a uh, DJ, isn't he?
2: Yeah. He's a morning show host. So he is a DJ. Yeah. He hosts Todd and Jade on Sacramento's radio station, KDND. So there you go. Sacramento... California. California Knows how to party. Brett gives a wordy promo here, and he dedicates this match to his mom. The first of many babyfaces to dedicate their match to their mom. And then he says he's going to tear Jerry Lawler apart. I guess that's what mom gets for Mother's Day.
1: Well, I just want to say one thing. Makushi's a great wrestler, and the fact that he's undefeated says it all. But the fact is, he has never, ever faced anybody like the excellence of execution. I'm determined... To go out there and prove one thing, that I still am the
0: best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Now for the Hitman, I just want to say one
1: thing. I've dedicated this match to my mother. Jerry Lawler, you're next after a pushy. I just want you to know one thing. My mother's at home, she's watching, and she's got one thing in mind. I'm going to tear you apart. Happy Mother's Day.
2: They start out really slow, this match, with wrist lock reversals. We get USA chance for the
3: Canadian Bret Hart. Hakushi (laughs) hits
2: a shoulder tackle for a near fall.
3: You can't skip over that. We have a Canadian in the ring and a Japanese wrestler in the ring, and we're chanting USA. That's correct. (laughs) Okay, just throwing that one out there.
2: Yeah, so I guess the crowd hated both
3: of these guys. (laughs) Hakushi hits
2: a shoulder tackle for a near fall. He works over Bret's arm. Brett wakes up with some arm drags, and hakushi goes outside to regroup. He returns to the ring, slams Brett, hits a second rope splash for a near fall. Jerry Lawler is watching the match from the back on a monitor, which, why he couldn't just come out and watch it in the crowd, I don't know. Hakushi hits a Bronco buster to Brett Hart without the busting. He just hit him with his crotch in the corner and then just got up. Brett gets thrown through the ropes, and Shinja... Gets some boots in on Brett. Shinja distracts Tim White so Hakushi can choke Hart in the corner, and Shinja chokes him again against the bottom rope. Hakushi hits the back handspring elbow, which I think is a girls move, but whatever. He hits it to Brett Hart. Then he hits a tilt a whirl backbreaker where Brett sort of falls neck first on his knee oh, wow. uh, instead of his back, so that sucked. It was ugly. Hakushi hits his diving headbutt and Brett kicks out at two and a half. Hakushi misses a springboard splash. Brett hulks up, hits a Russian leg sweep for a near fall, hits a bulldog, a backbreaker, and a second rope elbow drop before going for the sharpshooter, but Shinja distracts him. It doesn't matter as Brett atomic drops Hakushi and clotheslines him. Brett dives through the second rope to Dex Shinja, who tripped him. Brett vertical suplexes him and Hakushi over the ropes. It's okay. They landed on their feet. Shinja then tussles with Brett and Hakushi hits an acai moonsault to Brett Hart, which since Vinnie Mack was calling this show was just what a maneuver. He has no idea what any of these moves are. <laughs> they get back in the ring. Victory roll out of nowhere. And Bret Hart wins the match and the undefeated streak of Hakushi is over at In Your House number 1. The
3: ugliest diving headbutt I have ever seen. He's nowhere near... It's safe, though. I'll give it that. It's safe, but it's not Harley Race, it's not Dynamite Kid, and it sure as hell is not Crispin Waugh. Yeah, he's nowhere... He lands nowhere near you, but it's safer that way. And puts his arms down to catch himself. He's not even chest bumping. I mean, he's... God dude, it's it's hideous.
2: Fourteen thirty nine, I thought that Hakushi was kinda sloppy. Like some of their transitions, like it was kinda like ah, give me a second, give me a second, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. And so for someone as fluid as Bret Hart is in the ring and as perfect as he typically is, I thought Hikushi kinda slowed him down, but Hakushi probably hadn't worked with Bret Hart a whole lot, so he would get a rematch, so don't worry. I didn't like this much. Yeah, I, I thought this was a bad way to start the night, but if you're having Bret Hart wrestle twice, I guess you kind of have to have him do that. Started off way too
3: slow, and it went way too long for me as well.
2: Yeah, and a lot of with Shinja getting involved, it's like, okay, get involved once, and then Bret take you out. Not, okay, I'm coming back
3: now. Okay, I'm getting taken out again. Like I'm even believable in the twice, but afterwards, man, like you ever freaking three seconds, he got old. Brett sells his
2: leg, setting up a storyline for his match against Lawler. At least we think he hurt his leg. He hurt his leg falling out. Todd Pettingel, Alundra Blaze and Stan Lane are there backstage on the hotline. Call them, 1-900-737-4WWF.
1: Thank you, Vince. I'm in the 1900 room. WWF Women's Champion, Linda Blaze and Stan Lane. It's 1900 seven three seven four. Let's go! Come on! You're wasting time. Wait man. a minute! For my match. Come on! No. Let's go! Right to the ring right now. Bret Hart is ready. He's finished with his match with Akushi. I'm ready to get him in the ring didn't right now. You see what just happened? What? What? The Hitman coming out. He oh, hurt it. He won. He's, he did what? He didn't hurt himself. Sure. That doesn't have anything to do with the fact that no. I want him in the ring right now. Let's go. No. Get him in the ring. You know the hitman is on his way play. down here call, right now. Call Jack. Do what? The winners come down here. Bret Hart is coming down here. You still want to stay? Wait a minute. I don't know. What are you doing? I got a beep. I didn't hear anything. Beep. I got it on vibrate. Oh come on. Hey, it's my mom. She's upstairs. She wants. It. I'll be. I'll be back. Jerry, the King Lawler, of course, the Hitman Bret Hart will be in the one nine hundred room. All the winners come here. Let's take you back to Stephanie, who's at the In Your House set. Stephanie,
2: Jerry Lawler runs in and says, "I want Bret Hart right now." I think you need to call the the WWF hotline and see where it takes us out. If it's a one eight hundred number, I'd do it, but one nine hundred numbers charge you instantly. So really, yeah, it's not like one eight hundred collect or one eight hundred. You know, one of those numbers that we can call, or like, I could probably. I can go back maybe and look up the shop zone number they give out and call that, but uh, not calling the 1 900 number. So uh, Jerry Lawler tells Todd, I want Bret Hart, and Todd informs him, sorry, he has to do the hotline first, so you gotta go call if you want Bret. So this angers Lawler and he runs away. Stephanie, not Stephanie McMahon, the Stephanie. Uh, Ringside Reporter, which I don't recall. She was in one other review we did, I think WrestleMania 11, and she would not last long. And I can, like I said at the time, I can only imagine being the one female interviewer in this company full of testosterone fueled men who prank each other and run around naked and just, oh, she must have had a terrible time in this company.
3: Did she have a sexual lawsuit going at one point in time? I believe she did.
2: Maybe Stephanie is at the entryway, and we get to watch video of a Brinks truck bringing all the entries, all the postcards you've sent away for, for the house. Police for, escort in your house. Yes, i had a police escort. Postcards needed a police escort. Did to get to the arena. Three hundred and forty thousand postcards. So that means eight thousand of those people, according to the pay per view buys, sent in postcards didn't buy the pay-per-view. So it was kind of fortunate that they picked a postcard of a guy that just happened to be watching. Imagine if it was someone that wasn't watching that was like, oh, I'm watching WCW
3: <laughs> or whatever. <like. laughs>
2: IC champ Jeff Jarrett is here with Rody It's a handicap match against Razor Ramon. One, two, three kid calls in on the world's worst phone connection. It's like, I want to make sure that no shenanigans goes on, man. Root for you, Razor. Bye. It's awful. I would have ditched this, like, immediately hung up on 123Kid. Razor has a promo that airs while Jeff is entering the ring. He says, get well, 123Kid. And happy Mother's Day, Mama Ramon." What the mom of Scott Hall must have been through through her life is uh, something she deserves thanks for.
3: (laughs) <laughs>
2: Razor drops Double J with a clothesline, some big right hands. Jarrett misses a dropkick. Razor clotheslines him out of the ring. Rody drops Razor from behind. Double J hits an Insiguri. A away slam from Razor, but Rody breaks up the cover. Roddy gets tagged in for his television in-ring debut. Welcome to the company, Brian James. He drops Razor with a clothesline and lands some elbows before tagging Double J back in. They exchange a few near falls, and Razor hits an atomic drop, calls for the Razor's edge, but gets dumped out of the ring and sells his knee. So he didn't watch the first match, obviously roadie hits a clothesline to razor on the ring mats from the second rope razor beats the count rolls in the ring dodges a top rope crossbody from jarrett but eats a neck breaker instead razor is wearing tape with kid written on it on his boot ah oh, he's wrestling for his friend jarrett gets hit with a side suplex jarrett and razor knock each other down from clotheslines Rody tags in drops a second rope knee onto razor for an ear fall then he slaps on a chin lock razor hulks up smashes Rody's head against the mat jarrett tags in eats some right hands from Razor Razor then slings Double J into the roadie back suplexes roadie off the second rope Razor dodges the figure four by kicking Jarrett into roadie gets Jared up for a Razor's edge one, two, three Razor Ramon has just overcome the odds and beaten to your Intercontinental Champion and another guy so congrats to Razor Ramon which this feud had been going on since Rumble of 95 so uh, still going on here in twelve thirty six, Razor Ramon gets the win. What a debut for the roadie here!
3: God, dude, Brian looked like shit.
2: Yeah, it looked like he was very nervous about this whole thing, and not really devious enough. They didn't double team him enough. They had very bad strategy going into this match. In fact, they wrestled it pretty fairly uh, for two heels. No guitar shots here. No uh, speaker cable chokes or anything. Just. Just a straight beating from uh, Razor Ramon, so. But this is in your house. At a house show, you would expect the faces to mainly go over, and that's basically what you got for the most part tonight, so. Almost. Now, after the match, Jeff wants something out of this, so. Jarrett Chop blocks Razor as he tries to Razor's edge, the roadie, and puts him in the figure four, but who comes out to save him? Aldo Montoya, man o' war. Aldo Montoya runs down to make the save, but ends up just getting his ass kicked. So, he gets sent away. Who's going to save him now? Who's this guy? Just a random guy. They have no idea. It's Savio Vega, who had transitioned from Quang. He is now a human being. He makes the second save, but the announcers just say he's a fan. They don't know who he is, but he, was ma- he managed to come in and beat the shit out of two of your wrestlers. How long had he been Quang? Probably about a year
3: or so. Maybe Damn, two? He was given a shitty gimmick right out of the gate, wasn't he? Oh,
2: yes. Quang was going nowhere. This was at
3: least something.
2: I'm not going to say it was much, much better, but Savio Vega. The Puerto Rican and the Cuban going to work together, it seems like. Etico. Hey, this time it works, and the refs and the goons save Jarrett and Rhodey from further beatdown. King of the Ring promo plays. Jerry Lawler is backstage yelling at Jack Tunney. He's still here in 1995. One of his final appearances before Gorilla Monsoon would take over as the president, the authority figure. So one final uh, Jack Tunney.
3: But why did they keep him for so long?
2: I don't know why they kept him for so long, actually, like, employed. Because
3: he never did shit.
2: Well, and when he did shit, it was stupid. He was a terrible president. He was... Any other president would have been fired for incompetence, but he he earned a a paycheck. He earned a paycheck to do nothing. That's correct, yes. That's the best job in the world. Yeah, all for selling his territory to Vince. That got him over a decade of employment, at least. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Not bad. Making those paychecks for doing nothing. Uh, Jack Tunney won't give Jerry Lawler's match either. Not yet, anyway. A Psycho Sid Hype video plays showing him powerbombing everyone. So there you go. Do you know who I want him to powerbomb? This next guy. This next guy. Barry. Yes. Who pimps 1-800-TITAN-91 to order a brett size t-shirt. Only
3: $20, but here's the w- bullshit. One out. size fits all. That is bullshit.
2: <laughs> do you think Mabel can
3: fit in that shirt? It fits an extra large, but it's one size fits all.
2: Yeah. I think it's about an extra large, Barry says, <laughs> but it fits all. No, that is
1: not true. That's <laughs> Barry Dudinsky. Barry, what do you have for us? Hey, Vince, thanks a lot. We're over here in the stands to show you a brand new Bret Hart t-shirt. All right. I want you to take a look at this. This is a brand new all over t-shirt. Why is it called all over? Because it's manufactured, it's got printing all over it. Not only on the front, (laughs) but it has printing all over on the back. The shirt comes in one size fits all. It's somewhere around an extra large. It's $20 and you can get it by dialing 1-800-TITAN-91. Now we take a look at the t-shirt. Not only do I have one Vince, but take a look at the stands. Mark's wearing one. Take a look at the people over there. They're wearing them also. But Vince, one of the things that the people here in the stands want to know is They saw Bret Hart limp out of the ring Is he okay?
2: Nothing That is the worst phrase in all of anything One size fits all That is not true That's not true It's just impossible If we were all the exact same size Then yes, one size would fit all That's not how people work not even socks. Like, not even the most basic things. Like, you can find an ill-fitting pair of socks. I guarantee it. Underwear. Yeah, underwear. All that stuff. Condoms. Uh, and one size does not <laughs> fit all, okay? At least it was only 20 bucks. The t-shirt costs more than the pay-per-view. That's true. Men on a Mission's Mabel comes out, and he's a bad guy now. You know why? Because he snarls. That's really the only difference. He's... I want to see him get powerbombed. Well, he's taking on Atom Bomb, who gets a mini atom bomb pyro display in the ring with a mushroom cloud and everything this was that was pretty cool it was pretty yeah, it was cool especially for a shitty wrestler like Adam bomb this is a king of the ring qualifier one lone sign in the crowd i'm pretty sure this was a plant says Adam bomb king of the ring it was the only sign like in the crowd all night and it was only there for two seconds so i'm pretty sure this was handed out Mabel decks Adam before the bell. Adam hits a shoulder tackle that sends Mabel out of the ring, hits a plancha, and then rolls Mabel back into the ring, hits a slingshot clothesline for a one count, hits a top turnbuckle clothesline for another one count. Mabel hits a rolling heel kick, then a big slam. One, two, three. Mabel gets rid of the atom bomb in a minute 54 as the next monster is in the making here. Mabel. I I feel like he's going to go far in the King of the Ring tournament. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's Mabel. Not much to say. Squash match. I would have started the show with this, I think, actually. I mean, because it was a King of the Ring qualifier. At least there was something attached to it. Todd is with Razor Ramon. Razor introduces Savio Vega to the world. And, uh, I'm my, I'm my. there you go. The fake, the fake. Cuban and the real Puerto Rican are now working together.
1: Razor Mo, try to fill
0: us in, please. Todd, have I got a scoop for you? Say hello to Savio Vega, one of the biggest superstars from the Caribbean. You know, I don't recognize him at first. Chico, you changed a little.
1: That's
0: it, Racer. I can help myself when I see the double J on the Roddy. You know, try put the figure on you. You know. That's, that's not my way go in the end, you know, fight. But nobody's going to mess with Savio Vega and even with my friend right here, Racer Ramon. You know, Todd, I've fought against this man before. And I got to tell you, it's good to have him on my side for a change. Gracias, man.
1: Man, there's no question anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation. Now we know the bad guy Razor Ramon victorious in his match and reunited with an old friend here in the World Wrestling Federation.
2: Lawler wants his match now, but gets escorted to the back again. Just give the damn dude his match. I mean, Brett, get out of here. He
3: wants he wants Brett because Brett's injured and he doesn't want to have to wait and he possibly have time to heal. Right? He can't
2: blame him. He's got magical healing power. He can just heal himself well, yeah, if he has. can't blame him. He has a few more minutes. Jim Cornell brings out Yokozuna and Owen Hart to the ring. Oh my god. Yoko is fucking huge. Yes, this is the the Cornette Club here as he had started his faction.
3: But this is like his last few months with the company before he is sent to Fat Camp.
2: Yeah, he would appear though again at Wrestlemania 12. And then he would be in the '97 Rumble, and that was about it for Yokozuna. So he did last a little bit longer with the company, but but he was in and out.
3: It wasn't yeah. Oh Like this is pretty much his last
2: full run. Yeah this this tag team run, which is pretty sad that two time former world champ is now just tag team fodder. God,
3: dude, he is huge. He's yeah. in.
2: The, he's got to be
3: pushing the 600 pound mark.
2: They're aware of his limitations because he does very little. He don't this do match. shit. He doesn't do shit. Brett is icing his knee in the back. Owen and Yokozuna, oh gosh, they're taking on the smoking guns. <laughs> pow pow! Pow pow! I know you You love you some... Uh, oh, 95 tag teams. Some Billy Gun. Oh, man. Uh, the Godwins, the Smoking Guns, Men on a Mission. Just the greatest tag team Well, we love
3: the Hillbillies and the, the Cowboys and the Gangsters. Not, That's... not the new Jack and Mustafa, the actual Gangsters, but... Well,
2: Men on a Mission were on a positive mission for a while. They tried to change the, the gang culture, so... Oh, man, tag team well, wrestling was shit in 1995. It's kind of like it is today currently. Sorry. Haven't made a lot of progress here. Yoko starts with Billy. Yoko no-sells drop kicks, but Bart tags in, and Yokozuna just headbutts him and tags in Owen. The guns keep on in their corner, double-team him. Owen nails an insiguri to Billy. Yoko tags back in, but he just slaps on the Magna Claw to Billy. Owen tags in and hits a spinning heel kick. Yoko, oh dumbass runs himself into the post going after billy on the outside so that didn't work out too well so now yoko gets to lay down for a while bart tags in runs through owen tags in billy they hit a double team neck breaker to heart bart gets flung out of the ring and yoko drops a leg on him rolls into the ring owen covers him one two three they leave with the belts yokozuna here for a leg drop folks he got to take a nap
3: hit a leg drop
2: this... Didn't even have to climb back in the ring.
3: No. This was terrible. Yoko was, like I said, at the point in which he could not hardly move. God, dude, the 97 Rumble was the one in the Astrodome. God, it probably took him 20 minutes to walk the, all the way to the fucking ring. <laughs> I just thought of that. Jeez. Maybe he started walking before the, the thing counted <laughs> down. Um... Was this right after
2: WrestleMania 11? Yes, this is the first pay per view after WrestleMania 11. No, you're you're right. Yeah, Luger was gone because
3: it was right because Luger and Bulldog were a team then at WrestleMania. They had dropped him down to the we're talking about the tag teams. They had dropped him down to tag team and with Bulldog. He got pissed and he walked like flat out walked. And so yeah, and then um, and
2: then Bulldog took the place of Yoko in this tag team so yeah well yeah and it sucks for Bulldog too because he almost won the Royal Rumble and it's like oh you're just a tag team wrestler Todd is with Diesel Diesel talks about missing his mother who passed away over Christmas Henry Godwin was with the Million Dollar Corporation and attacked Diesel on a, on another TV show but it didn't work because Big Daddy Cool's here. Todd asks about Shawn Michaels and Psycho Sid and how that lit a fire in Big Daddy Cool. You see, after WrestleMania, Psycho Sid had cost Shawn Michaels the match, uh, sort of, at WrestleMania. And on Raw, powerbomb Shawn three times, which injured Shawn Michaels. And Big Daddy Cool couldn't stand for that. And now they're friends. Uh, they're good friends, better enemies. But they are good friends. So. Oh, they're
3: about to be good friends better enemies
2: well first they have to be two dudes
3: with attitudes two dudes with attitudes coming soon in your house three that's a great tag team name i mean that's up there with vicious and delicious
0: my head's a couple of different places number one it's mother's day and uh if anybody knows me and uh, knows anything about me knows my history i lost my mother right after christmas uh, last year so this is the first mother's day that uh, i've been without a mom and you know it, it really gives me a chance to reflect on how important this day is and you know, even though I lost my mother, let's say a happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there.
1: Well, it certainly has been a, a rough weekend for you, considering what happened with Henry Godwin, 310 pounds, obviously not directly linked with the Million Dollar Corporation, but no question, working on their behalf. Got to ask you about the lower back. Physically, how are you feeling?
0: You know, Todd, it seems like, you know, every day in the World Wrestling Federation, another 300-pound guy comes in the door that's got a lot of ability, and, you know, with the, with the world title around my waist, I seem to be... Uh, a marked man at Ted DiBiase, you know, went out and acquired him for the night and uh, didn't work. As you can see, Big Daddy Cool is here, live in a living color. And Sid, 100%, buddy, 100%.
1: You know, Diesel, you talked about losing your mom, obviously a tough time in your life. And to a lesser degree, friends are an important part of life, too. And I'm sure you've had to rethink a lot of things with Sean Michaels. Now, tonight is going to be very important. You know Sean's going to be out there watching. i got to believe that this time it's more than just another title shot for you, it's, it's personal. I mean, you know Sean's out. Am I right? How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, Sid's got to be stopped, you know, without a doubt. And
0: uh, what he did to Sean, you know. He's really lit a fire in Big Daddy Cool, you know. He's telling everybody he's the master. Well, I am the walrus. goo goo ka Sid, Big Daddy Cool, in the house, coming at you, baby. I can't wait. What do we got, about an hour? About an hour away. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Sid. You ain't seen nothing like you're gonna see tonight. <sighs> Happy Mother's Day.
2: Jerry Lawler's in the ring with a woman he claims is his mother. His uh,
3: mother is really young.
2: Yeah, his mother looks like his daughter. Or could be his daughter's age. She says she'll be proud if her boy can beat Bret Hart tonight. And then she says, up next, she wants to challenge Helen Hart.
3: King, King's into some kiki shit. If that's his mama, because I'm not buying it.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Now Doc Hendricks seemed to buy it, but that was about it.
3: Well, Doc Hendricks. That's why
2: Brett acts like a heel here and tells Todd, "Hey, I was faking it. April Fools. I know it's May, but it's April Fools. My leg." just fine and he jumps around on it so he suckered Jerry Lawler into this match basically which is brilliant Hart immediately just beats down Jerry Lawler, who bails to the outside. Brett runs him to the guardrail, rolls him in the ring, just continues the beating with a back body drop. At the conclusion of this match, though, Patrick, stay tuned, someone's winning the house in Florida. Lawler hits a pile driver, but Hart no-sells it, just stands right up and delivers some right hands and a bulldog, then Hart pile drives Lawler. Lawler scoop slams Brett, but Hart avoids the dangerous right hand from the top rope from Lawler and instead hits him with a back elbow. Brett does some ground and pound to Lawler. Then Shinja reappears. What are you doing here? And the ref takes a bump and gets his foot caught in the rope, and he is fucked, Patrick. This would suck as a referee to be hanging upside down with your foot caught in the ropes. Yeah. Hakushi then runs down and attacks Hart. He lands two diving headbutts, and Lawler rolls up Hart to win the match as the ref has gotten unstuck and recovers. So there you go. After the match, Hakushi accidentally nails Lawler, and then Shinja gets his ass kicked again by Bret Hart. This feud between Lawler and Hart will never end. I imagine Hart liked working with Lawler because he knew there was zero chance he would get hurt working with Lawler. And... That was always very important to Brett. Is to always take care of your opponent and work have safe. your yeah work safe. And with like we mentioned with Jerry Lawler, you get the right hand, you get a pile driver, and you're lucky you might get a scoop slam. That's it. So there's, drop
3: kick if he's really feeling it.
2: So there's really no safer worker than Jerry Lawler. But I'm sure at this point though, Brett was also probably annoyed. That, shit, we are almost three years into this feud, <laughs> and it just keeps going and going. Well, the camera,
3: the and camera shoots on back over to Brett, and you just see Brett say, fuck, that match was shit straight to Earl Heppner. Wow. And so, you go back and watch it.
2: Well, I think he summed it up perfectly then.
3: Because he was pissed about the turnout of this match.
2: Yeah, went five minutes, and uh, yeah, not a not a great night of work from Bret Hart, but...
3: Not even King, either. King was not on his A-game.
2: Sid is backstage to whisper a promo to us. Time is up for Diesel, and by the way, Psycho Sid, he's the master and the ruler of the world.
0: Time has run out. Just like the last crane to the hourglass, my friend. Time has run out for you, your reign is over, a new man will be crowned, the champion, you my friend Diesel, you will become another one of my symbols, another symbol of many factories that I will have, you will become a victim. Nothing you can do. No one to help you. Now, you have to meet the master. The ruler
2: of the world. The ruler of the world. Todd and Stephanie, time to give away the house. Todd and Stephanie get rakes from the garage the fake house which is our set to go rake up the cards the postcards todd then lifts stephanie puts her in the postcard box she picks a card then he pulls over an accountant and says hey is this card okay how are you doing the guy says fine how's the card look it's good okay and then Todd proves once again the hardest thing to do on live television is dial a phone <laughs> as he fucks up the winner's phone number, which Vince laughs at, but years later would do the exact same thing during McMahon's Millions. He would fucking dial the wrong number. So.
1: This is so exciting, Todd. Can you imagine
0: sitting at home? Stephanie Wyatt, can you imagine giving away a house? What a thrill that must be! This is gonna be so Who's cool going to win? They're what a Mother's here?
1: Day present. They're oh, calling okay. my number. Ah. All that's right, let's hope they home. We told you to be by your phone. Yeah. Oh, we got to dial again! <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> Don't you hate when you get that annoying operator? All right. <laughs> that's all right. Try it again. We're going
0: to do it. I hope my mother-in-law's is on the line. Your mother-in-law's on the line? I hope not.
1: I'm ready to tee off. Okay. Right, here we go, here we go. I'll try it again. It's ringing. Yes, it's ringing. Your phone ringing right now? it is. Hello? Hello. Hi, is Matt Pompasili home? Yes. Yeah! I'm here, Can I talk to Matt, please? Turn the sound off. Turn the sound off. Is this Matt? Are you watching right now? <laughs> you <laughs> in the house! Yes. <laughs> this is so cool! We are calling. And his whole family watching you guys pending verification win the house in Orlando, Florida. (laughs) Yeah.
3: We're sorry. You have reached a number who's no longer in service.
2: Good, Vince. Good one. So apparently, this is the hardest thing in the world to do on live tv is dial phone number something you do all the time what i did think was nice so at least they didn't say oh well this number doesn't work let's go to the next postcard
3: that's true they tried it one more time
2: matt pompicelli of henderson nevada he wins the house and the guy was watching the show and he freaks out and wow.
3: matt pompicelli was this the little seventh grade kid
2: he was 11 years old uh, WWE.com did a story about this So I'll read a little bit of the story 2008 they did this story So this article's almost 11 years old First thing, are you still living in the house? No, I don't own the house I sold it about 6 months after I won it We had just moved from New York to Las Vegas And it was a big decision to move into the Florida home Rent it or sell it It was a tough choice but selling it just meant I'd have money for college Wow, an 11-year-old flipping real estate. How much did you bank from the sale? I believe it sold for more than hundred and seventy-five grand, which back then was good money for an 11-year-old. How did you feel when you actually had won it? It was surreal. I had filled out the form about three days before my dad put it in the mail. They dial the phone. My phone doesn't ring. Turns out they had the wrong numbers. They redial a minute later. My dad gets on the phone and I can hear his New York accent booming through the TV And that's me screaming in the background. So in school, you kind of became the real-life Richie Rich. Yeah, it was like instant popularity status. You win a house and everyone knows you. Did you have any fun inside the Orlando house before selling it? Oh, yeah, I remember pulling up in the limo, and right as I get out, the cameras are flashing. I get to meet the bushwhackers. (laughs) oh boy and a bunch of other superstars we did vignettes of me going around the house and doing different things which they aired weekly it was awesome it was like I was a part of the WWE family for just that month I have that whole experience taped on VHS so there you go that's what happened to the in your house house Matthew
3: Pompaselli and that is why we have the disclaimer you must be 18 or older I'm sure that they could have put it in his dad's name or something I don't know
2: he met the qualifications, I don't know. How do you meet the qualifications as an 11-year-old? I don't know. Maybe that wasn't in the rule book then. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that was later. Well, at least it wasn't some old lady or something. That's true. Which, that's who would have enjoyed the house on the country club.
3: Not a kid. What's a kid want with the house? Oh, well, he could go and practice on the golf course and maybe turn out to be the next tiger woods sid is out next with ted dibiase which
2: he joined the million dollar corporation this was originally supposed to be sid versus bam bam bigelow but the 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 injury to Shawn michaels changed the first opponent for uh diesel after wrestlemania Diesel comes out, starts with some forearms, puts Sid in the corner, delivers some elbows. Sid stays on his feet until Diesel hits a leaping clothesline. DiBiase distracts Diesel for Sid to knee him in the back, which is the first move he did all match, which it was all Diesel for the first few minutes. This takes Diesel out of the ring where he gets dropped onto the apron. Sid runs Diesel into the post, hits a running boot. They get back into the ring. Sid clotheslines Diesel and then poses, puts Diesel in the camel clutch for ages, then hits a leg drop gets a near fall out of it goes back to the camel clutch sid then delivers a terrible choke slam to diesel the worst choke slam i think i've he ever seen it's he, just pushing him over yeah he doesn't get like Na- Even two feet off. Nash throw. was not going to help him out at all no. on this one. So after this terrible choke slam, Sid calls for the power bomb and delivers it to Diesel. And at first, I thought he was going to drop him on his neck. I was scared at first. And Diesel, this very protected move for Sid, kicks out at two. Snake eyes to Sid. Big boot. Jack knife. The, the more powerful power bomb, of course. He covers, oh, evil corporate Tatanka. Saves Sid. Puts the boots to Diesel. Ding, 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 DQ. Congratulations for your $15. This is what it gets you. Bam Bam Bigelow then runs in to save Diesel. Then they say, see it, King of the Ring, in June. Vince says, this in your house was out of this world. And then a weird alien promo about how WWE could save the world from aliens. Ends the show.
3: This pay-per-view was something, but I don't know about Out of This World.
2: Uh, No, I want it Out of This World, that's for sure. I wish the aliens had come and taken it away. Uh, Now, to the live crowd, they knew that this wasn't the main event because they had dark matches to follow. Really? Yeah, because they had Undertaker with Kama next. Then they had Bam Bam and Tatanka next. Then they had Bulldog and Owen. So they knew this wasn't the main event, so of course it's not going to have a title change here whatever um <laughs> so they couldn't even get into it because it's like uh yeah we don't think there's going to be a title change in the middle of this in your house card so i wish that they had put undertaker on the card yeah i would have killed for an undertaker match taker comma that'd been great yeah owen hart had to wrestle twice too so both the Hart guys they had to wrestle twice pulling tonight. double duty They wrestled to a draw, by the way, for their King of the Ring qualifier. And Bam Bam beat Evil Tatanka. So, that was it. In Your House number one. Outside of the house set and the graphics and the theme song, the In Your House theme song that I thought was kind of cool. This was shit. Nothing about this is to be remembered or looked back upon. This was slightly better than an actual house show. Slightly.
3: Marginally.
2: It's exactly like a house show, so the branding was perfect. Boy, if you had to award Match of the Night, who would you give it to, Patrick? Which turd can be
3: polished? Brett and King. It was terrible, though, man. Dude, it was bad. It was bad. And I'm only saying that because they're two solid workers and they got the crowd somewhat interested. But it was bad. I guess I would have to give it to
2: the main event, and that's only because... Having Sid hit the power bomb, at least for me at home, gave me the sense that this could be an actual title change. Yeah, because also, if you're looking to make a splash with this first in your house, wouldn't you want something like shocking? Like yeah. they could have Sid drop it back to him the next night on Raw, but just yeah. something to get people saying, oh shit, you got to watch those in your house. I know they're cheaper and they're only two hours. Dude, anything could fucking happen, man. true. Sure. But no, nothing. I get Really, the the main event was the house winner. I mean, Todd oh, Pat- yeah. Todd Pettengill dialing a phone was probably my favorite part of the night. So, when he fucks it up. On our rating scale, Patrick, Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez. Where does in your house number one, number one, is this number one? Where does it land? The telephone. Wow, that is bad. That <laughs> might be your lowest ranking ever. I'm going to give this a Jerry Lawler's mom since it is Mother's Day. And uh, I don't think that was his mom, but she was small.
3: If it was his mom, I need to go back in time and date her. Yes, take yourself back to
2: 1995 and, uh, well, try to make them stop this pay per view before it starts. Yeah. Try to warn them.
3: Or say, hey, let's do this instead.
2: Yeah. So, Patrick, next week, it's your pick, so where will we be going? It's
3: not my pick. It's Mother's Day. So, Mama Young decided to pick for me. Mama Young has requested that we do SummerSlam Highway to Hell, because that is Mama Young's, one of her favorite wrestling pay-per-views of all time. So, we are going to do SummerSlam 98 Highway to Hell.
2: Well, that sounds great. I... Remember the main event, and I don't really remember much else from it. I know this you have is another the, dumpster match, another lions den match. Yes, so a lot to look forward to here at SummerSlam in 1998, the hottest time in pro wrestling. What could go wrong? Well, we'll find hair
3: that. versus hair.
2: Oh yeah, Jeff Jarrett
3: in the hair. Where will it go? Will he keep his long hair? I have to see. You got uh... I mean, you got Foley and Funk. Rock and Triple H in a ladder match. Yeah. What could go wrong? Except for maybe getting headbutted and knocked out cold. That could always happen, yes. It happens in the main event. <laughs> well, that'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only. The greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo. Bango. Happy Mother's Day.
1: Update on human species destruct order for planet known as Earth. Proceed. Two world wars and nuclear weapons indicate they may destroy entire planet themselves. What else? Further destruction of their environment continues with many species extinct already. Protective ozone layer partially destroyed. Any reason to spare them? Only this data tape, an organization with a devoted following, known as the World Wrestling Federation. It shows promise. Maybe there's hope for these humans. Delay their destruction 100 solar cycles. The World Wrestling Federation, you never know, we might be saving the world.